belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for September 12th, 2021 is called Greetings from Paul. The teacher is Laura Holland and the location is Vessers Point, Mount Sequoia in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Hi, good morning. My name is Laura Holland and I am a member of the teaching team here. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff and Cody. That was beautiful. Um, Growing up, when my family would go to the movies, my dad always made us sit through the credits. Now, this was well before the days of bonus scenes that you could kind of count on. So we didn't stay to see what we might be missing at the, the end otherwise. We stayed so that we as a family could celebrate and honor all of the people that helped make that movie possible. So we were the family that would call out the names of the key grips. We would call out the names of the designers and um, of the wranglers. And if there was someone on that list named Laura, you would best believe she was about to get a special shout out as well. So I was like, we have a connection. This tradition has continued with my family. I also make them sit through the credits because these people worked hard. Um, And now my favorite credits to see are the production babies that are listed for Pixar movies. And it's literally all of the babies that have been born during the making of the the movie. And I just think that it's super fun and it humanizes all of the people that are being listed there. Keeping with this trend, anytime that I pick up a new book, the first thing I do is read the acknowledgements. And typically those are nestled in the back. And I like to see who was involved behind the scenes. And I love the peek that it gives me into the real life and the real relationships that the author has had. Both credits and acknowledgements serve as reminders that the works that we are enjoying are actually labors of love of many people. We might celebrate a single author or a single lead actor, but there are many, many people who have worked behind the scenes. So this week, we're starting our reading of Romans with the acknowledgments. Paul shares a list of people who helped make his life and ministry possible. And it's a list that includes many names that we might be surprised to see included. Okay, so if you're anything like me, if you hear list and we're talking about scripture, maybe you have a tendency to skim through it If you see a long line of places or genealogies or lists of names, maybe you skip past it entirely to get to the good stuff. Because if I'm honest, that is typically what I am tempted to do as well. But if we were to do that here, we would miss out on a very telling glimpse into Paul's ministry and to those he considered co-laborers and co-ministers. So today, I'm going to read through Romans 16, 1 through 16. And I encourage you to actively listen to both the names and the roles associated with them. In fact, I'm going to be providing some commentary as we go along. So if you want to pull out a Bible, if you have that, or if you have the Bible app on your phone, you can pull that up as well. And while you are flipping or scrolling, I'm going to do a little bit of scene setting since we're, we're jumping into Romans um, for the first time today. Okay, so as a reminder... We are reading through the book of Romans backwards. 
So that's why we're starting at the end, the last chapter of Romans 16. In this, if they were reading through, through the book, front to back, how we typically do, at this point, Paul has already shared, he has already shared his encouragements, his admonishments. He has dealt with the issues he is aware of in the house churches in Rome. And now he is sending his personal greetings and providing his closing, closing thoughts. So what I just refer to as a list of names is in actuality, Paul sending out greetings and encouragements and affirmations to his friends. He's sending them out to people he has relationship with and those who have impacted his ministry. So what we see as a list, he sees as his life. So we should honor that. (laughs) When we see these, we should recognize that so much exists beyond just the names themselves. So Romans 16, 1 through 16, here we go. Now I, Paul, commend to you, Roman house churches, our sister Phoebe. I love how the message version um, says this. It says, I heartily endorse both her and her work. So I commend to you, our sister Phoebe, who is a servant or representative, a deacon, a leader of the church in Centrea, so that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and provide her with whatever help she may need. For she has been a great help to many, including me. Greet Prisca, also known as Priscilla, and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Also greet the church at their house. Greet my dear friend Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked very hard for you. Greet Adronicus and Junia, my compatriots and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles. And they were in Christ before me, meaning that they were following Christ before Paul was a convert. Greet Apollotus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my good friend Stachys. Greet Apellus, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my compatriot. Greet those in the household of narcissists who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, laborers in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who is also a mother to me. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegion, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister, Olympus. And all the believers who are with them, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Okay, so I already told some of you guys that I've been listening to this um, section of the, the chapter on an NIV version that will read the names to me because these are not names we're familiar with. And so because of that, it's possible that we fail to pick up that 10 of the 29 people that Paul commends by name are women. Not only that, but other versions, this has a lot of 
my good friend in the Lord, laborers in the Lord. There are other versions that list out um, specific roles that were played a bit more clearly. Um, so check those, check those out this week. But there are seven different church or ministry functions that are highlighted in this. There's deacon, a patroness, co-worker, host, laborer, and apostle, all of which are performed by the women that he names. For some people, me calling this out might fall in the category of like, cool, and. But for other people, this could be mind-blowing. Why? Because Paul, the author of this letter, is also the author of other letters used by some throughout the history of the church to support diminishing the role of women, to shut women out of leadership roles in the church, and to tell us that there's one way to be a woman in Christ. In fact, Paul's words have been used by people to tell me why I don't have the authority to preach, why what I'm doing is out of line. They have supported people feeling okay calling me a super director when my official title was pastor at a previous job. So if it seems like this is a little bit personal to me, it is. But I doubt that I'm the only one here that's been negatively impacted by the misapplication of Paul's words. In fact, these things likely contributed to why many of us raised our hands last week when John asked if anyone had a problem with Paul. So might I just suggest right up front that when we look at Paul's own life and ministry, maybe we've gotten it wrong. Maybe Paul isn't the one that we should have a problem with. Perhaps we've broadly applied what was meant to be specific contextual guidance while ignoring the patterns in Paul, not to put too fine a point on it, Jesus's own life and ministry that provide us with an alternative picture. It's a picture that celebrates and recognizes God's image and God's giftings in all of us. So back to the letter. Paul starts this section by saying, I commend to you, I heartily endorse our sister Phoebe. That alone doesn't seem like it would be telling us much, but it actually does. This tells us that Phoebe has been tasked as the courier for Paul's letter. She is the one that has been charged with the responsibility of taking the letter from Paul to the Roman house churches. That alone implies a position of honor and respect. Because in these days, Paul couldn't just send it via Gmail. He couldn't rely on the U.S. Postal Service. He had to have someone he trusted that would send the letter that he wrote in the way that he wanted. It doesn't just tell us that. Um, Paul also can't hand-deliver every letter that he has written. So Phoebe is trusted to be the ambassador for him. We also know that Phoebe is educated to the point of being able to read the letter. This might be something that we take for granted today, but especially in this time, very few people were able to read, even fewer women were able to this is, a, this is a notable fact. Phoebe was educated to the point of being able to read this letter. Um, because when she's going to the Roman house churches, she's not just handing it off to the various leaders. She is the one that is presenting or performing this message to them. If there are any questions from the crowd needing answers, 
she was the one answering it. If there was anything that needed commentary, she was the one providing it. Further, she didn't just go to one mega church in Rome and speak once and then leave. That's how I've always kind of pictured these things happening. But instead, she was responsible for sharing the message to each individual gathering. To those in the house churches in Rome, Phoebe was the voice and person associated with this letter. They weren't able to pull Paul up on Wikipedia and figure out what his backstory was. They weren't able to Google who he was to them, this was Phoebe's message. They knew that Paul had chosen her to send. So Phoebe was the voice and the person associated with this letter as Paul's ambassador. She represented him. She was standing in his place for the Roman church. In the letter, Paul also states that Phoebe has been a great help to many, including him. So some scholars and theologians believe that last clause, including me, suggests that Phoebe helped Paul write the letter that she's tasked with presenting. Not necessarily that she was a co-author, though who's to say, but potentially as an editor, or an early reader, or a contributor. In other words, Phoebe and Paul worked together. Stating that Phoebe was a great help to many isn't something that we should gloss over either. A bishop in the 4th century wrote, Paul opened the world to Phoebe, and in every land she is celebrated. For not only do Romans and Greeks know her, but even all others. Around the same time, an epitaph for Sophia, who was a deacon in Jerusalem, the epitaph referred to Sophia as the second Phoebe. In a time where people rarely traveled far beyond where they were born, Phoebe's a big deal. People know who she is. So having established that, I want to take a bit of a step back. There is a growing call or encouragement really across the theological spectrum to approach scripture with more imagination. So this isn't suggesting that we make things up, but rather that we seek to connect the dots, that we think critically about both what is on the page and what's not, and that we place ourselves in the shoes of those that we are reading about. We've talked at Grace before about how we really like to be the hero of the story, so placing ourselves as Paul or Jesus is really easy. Interestingly enough, the American church also super likes to play the down-and-out victim, so it's easy to see ourselves in that role, too. For some, seeing themselves in the shoes of Phoebe might be a tougher thing to imagine, but I don't actually have much problem with that. That is something that I can use my biblical imagination and step into her shoes. Because think about it. We know from the passage, which is a letter, that Phoebe is the one that has been commended to present it. But what did that conversation look like between Phoebe and Paul when he said, you're it. You're the one that is going to take this message and present it to the churches. How did those in the house churches respond to this? That's not included in the letter. This is where biblical imagination could come into play. Because these house churches, John spoke more fully about this last week, but kind of as a reminder, they represented a very diverse body of believers. There were Gentiles, there were, were Jewish 
believers that were coming to be part of this. There were servants. There were wealthy landowners. There were men and women. So it was a big task to deliver a message of unity to this body that is so diverse. But Phoebe was the one tasked with it. As a woman that has spent my entire professional field in male dom or my professional career in male-dominated fields, I feel like I've probably had conversations before that mirror the conversation I would imagine Paul and Phoebe having. I find myself wondering, was she afraid of how she would be received? Did she need a pep talk? Not because either Paul or Phoebe doubted her ability or didn't think she was up for the job, but because she was used to getting kind of side-eye glares from people that questioned her authority. Or she was used to pushback from men who thought they knew better or assumed there must be someone else in charge. Surely it's not her. Do they insist upon calling her a super director? Or do they use cutesy terms like sweetheart that subtly asserted their own dominance while putting her in her place? Do you think anyone had told her that they might be able to listen a little better if she had just smiled? Phoebe's story is inspiring and triggering. It really makes me emotional and um, it's an important story to share because her story mirrors those of so many of us throughout the history of the church and today. If you think I'm overstating any of this, I'd encourage you to ask a woman in your life if any of this resonates with her. And for anyone for whom it does resonate, I just want to take a minute please hear me say your feelings are valid. If hearing any of this makes you sad, me too. If any of it makes you angry, same. And for any of you that are hearing this and realizing that past behavior or maybe things you've said before have perpetuated some of these ideas in a way that you're now coming to see as hurtful, and that makes this hard to hear, yeah, because I've been on both sides of this because it's how we're conditioned, which is why we need to name it. I'm someone who likes to celebrate progress, and I naturally see the positive spin on things. I like to see the world as glass half full. And it's important to say that we're in a better place now as a culture, and it probably was for Phoebe and those that were soon after her. But that doesn't mean it's good yet. So I've already touched on the stats. The 10 out of 29 people greeted by name were women. But I want to camp out on this for a minute. Women in scripture and women in general are often treated as a monolith. So think about census reports in the Old Testament that meticulously list each man in the tribe and attack on the end and X number of women and children. Happens in the gospel stories too. So Jesus fed the 5,000. In parentheses is men. The miracle is actually even bigger because the women and children weren't counted. They weren't even tacked onto the end of that story. And that's because at that time, culturally, women didn't count. Because of this cultural reality, it is that much more important that we realize how subtly subversive Paul was in this. 
He was culture setting. He was saying names in the early church. He was setting Phoebe up as his face and his voice. Hashtag say her name is a current social mood movement seeking to raise awareness of specifically black female victims of police brutality and anti-black violence. The campaign started because often the stories of black women were overlooked when discussing those impacted by violence. The public was able to list specific men, but in essence, if women were included at all, they were tacked on and women and children. We're learning the importance now of saying specific names, of calling out the women as the individuals that they are. Paul knew that what he was saying was important, that by calling out their names, specific women and their impact on the church, that he was making a statement. I also want to pull the curtain back a bit here because I think it illustrates some of what I'm trying to explain through this. Um, but I really found myself hesitant this week to focus too much on Phoebe or um, to say too much about the role of women. Concerned that people would just hear this as a feminist argument, you know, that I'm just trying to like make a pointed statement or, or be sensational in some way. I've also been concerned that the men listening might not be able to relate that much to what it is that I'm saying because it's centered so much on women. And for that, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry because I have never once questioned whether if I'm speaking about Paul, Jesus, Moses, our entire sermon series on Isaiah, never once have I found myself thinking, this is really just for the men, but I sure hope women get something out of it. That they're able to glean something there. We don't think that way. So why was I, why was I doubting the biblical imagination of everybody here today? I am really sorry. But I do think that this is the impact of centuries of the church intentionally erasing women from the narrative. When we add them back in, it seems like they don't belong. Or it seems as though they are only serving a role to allow women to see ourselves in the greater narrative. That, that's not it. Writing about these intentional erasures, which are detailed in this book, I cannot recommend enough. It's in the, the learning guide, and I have it here if anyone wants to check it out. Theologian Gary Macy observed, once women were no longer being ordained, they were considered to have never been ordained. All references to their ordination were expunged or quietly dropped. The church mantra became, what wasn't being done has never been done. This practice of deleting the women, the role that they have played, isn't relegated to those seeking ordination. Nor, as we know, is it just seen in the church. Paul's letter to the Romans shows us that he never questioned whether or not women belonged in the role that they were playing. He never questioned where they belonged in the greater narrative of Scripture. We shouldn't be questioning that either. So I can't read Romans 16 without thinking about one of my mentors, Heather Zimple. Heather is a pastor and an author, and she teaches 
often on Romans 16. When she does this, she highlights the need for us to acknowledge those in our life who have impacted our faith. Paul lists 29 people who are his co-laborers. We highlight Paul as the lead actor. But he knew that if the credits were to roll on his life, that these are the people who were the key grips. These were the designers. These were the wranglers. They were the ones that needed to be listed. We too have been impacted by people in our life and in our ministry, because we all have a ministry. We all are living lives that are testaments to God's work. So this week, I would encourage you to consider who would be on your Romans 16 list. With whom have you been in relationship that you can't tell the story of your faith without listing them? I would be sending greetings to Alex and Teresa. These are people who have continued the work of encouraging me that they started almost 30 years ago, which when I did that math, I was a little shocked. I don't know if y'all are shocked too. I would also be including Heather and Rodney, Rachel and Aaron and Keith. And these are names that for me hold really special memories and represent moments in the formation of my faith. Those names alone mean little to you guys. It's just another list of names. But when we fail to stop and consider the life and the relationships that each of them represent, the stories that each of them can tell, and what their inclusion on the list actually means, when we fail to engage our biblical imagination when we see these things, we are missing out on a huge part of the story. So as we transition now into our time for reflection and as we prepare for communion, Jeff and Cody, if y'all want to come on up, and Stacey and Milo for communion, I want to go back to a few weeks ago when we were talking about becoming. And I'd encourage you to take note of how you're feeling and responding. What have you heard today that you liked? Consider why. What have you heard today that you didn't like? Consider why. And what have you heard today that was hard to hear? Whether because it was new, it countered something you'd been told before, or for any other reason it was hard to hear. I encourage you to sit with that. To breathe in, to breathe out, to be present in this beautiful day. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. You can find more about us online at gracechurchmwa.org. Grace and peace.